the Koigig part. I mean, Arsenal already looked like they had three extra players. If they don't do anything really stupid or get a lot of injuries, I think they should be winning the league realistically. And subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Now, I'm glad to say Chris Jones, BBC Rugby correspondent, is with us to explain what's going on in the Premiership and specifically with Worcester Warriors at the moment. Chris, good morning to you. How are you? Yeah. How, how's it going, guys? You OK? Yeah. Um, this is, on the face of it, it's a complex, complex story uh, on one side, but on the other, it's uh, quite a straightforward story. Um, somebody has spent too much money somewhere, and as a result, uh, it looks like the, the club may be on the verge of extinction. Can you maybe just give a quick pot of history for uh, our listeners and viewers who are coming to this a little bit cold to, to bring us up to speed? What happened? Yeah, I suppose if we go back to what people would know about Worcester Warriors, you know, traditionally, you think of Worcester Warriors, you think of Cecil Duckworth, a local business businessman um, who loved the club, poured millions of his own pounds into making Worcester a sustainable premiership club and really bringing them from the lower leagues to a, to a side that was competing for, for trophies and bringing in some, some world-class players, you know, um, the likes of, of Chris Latham and, and other major superstars coming to Worcester. A lot of that coming down to Cecil Duckworth and his vision for Worcester. Um, and since he um, hasn't been in, in control of the club, it has been a few years of, of kind of turbulence in the boardroom with different consortiums coming in. And then for the last few years, there's been these two um, businessmen owning Worcester and uh, eventually the, the dam has burst. These guys have, you know, will deny a lot of the accusations that are sent their way, but there's absolutely no doubt that they, they've run the club into the ground. And it kind of came to a head about six weeks ago, roughly, when they um, defaulted on a payment to HMRC. They owe about six million quid in unpaid tax. They were paying it back a you know, few hundred grand a month and they defaulted on a payment. HMRC wanted their money. They weren't able to. And for the last six weeks, it's just been one thing after the other, one broken promise after another. We thought when the, the premiership was launched that, that Worcester might have enough money just to keep going until a buyer um, was found, but that hasn't materialised. And as it stands, or the last 24, 48 hours, they simply haven't had, had enough money to even insure six ways. They had to close the ground. The, the caretaker and his wife, who, who lived at the ground, had to move out. Desperate state of affairs. Um, they finally got into administration, which is the solution I think most people wanted to get everything out on the table and then try and find a way forward. Um, and now we're in this kind of holding pattern where, where Worcester have been suspended um, from all leagues, men's team, women's team, uh, grade A, age grade sides. Um, and we wait to see the outcome of that administration process over the next few weeks. Okay. Uh, to, how long will that take was, was going to be one of my questions. And, and in the meantime, what happens? Do they just cease to be a functioning premiership team? Well, as it stands, they're suspended. And it's, it's limbo land again because from a sort of macro level, it's, it's a rotten look for the premiership, isn't it? it, was, it to, to, even, to start the league, Worcester to play three times and now maybe those games to have to, I don't know, are those results expunged? What happens if they can't fulfill their fixtures going forward? The hope is that an administrator comes in. And there, there are a couple of interested parties out there, one of whom is headed up by the former Worcester chief executive, Jim O'Toole, an Irish guy. And he's confident that if the administration process runs its course, they've got enough money, him and his partners, uh, to run the club going forward and then to get it back on a sustainable footing. So there is hope out there. That this is not the end for Worcester. 
it's pretty likely they'll get relegated. Our RFU regulations dictate that a side does get relegated if they go into administration, unless they can prove that this is a no-fault administration, and that's down to COVID. But given the stuff that's been going on pre-COVID um, and the way the owners have run the club, the money they've put in or the lack of money they've put in, I think it might be quite hard for Worcester to prove that this was a no-fault administration, which means that even if Worcester can finish this domestic season, they will then get relegated to the championship, which does then throw a lot of the premiership plans into turmoil because the hope was to make it a four-team league a 14-team league going forward and that clearly won't happen if Worcester are relegated you, you touched on this uh, already there Chris but but um, like Eddie Jones this week was asked about it as well the whole situation and his his um, response essentially was it's a time where the competition needs to look at itself and I'm sure it will like this is this is a really bad luck for the English premiership as a whole it's a terrible look because there's a strong argument out there to say Hold on. If, if Worcester have been such a, a concern going forward, why did they start the league? Um, and that was because the owners would have given reassurances to Steve Diamond, the director of rugby, to those at Premiership Rugby, that they, they did have the money to fund the club going forward. And they did have an interested buyer to buy the club with all its debts not going into administration. But that hasn't happened. So I think the, the broken promises are the, are the things that really get the staff down at Worcester. And you've got to feel so sorry for... A, not just the players, but the staff who are, who are earning significantly less money than the players and in some cases haven't been, been paid at all. But you're right, it's a bad look for the league. Whether it needs a complete root and branch reform of what the league is and what it stands for, I'm not so sure. I still think the Premiership is a great competition, but clearly something needs to be done about how to keep it sustainable. Are the players being paid too much? Are the squads too big? Is the league too big? Are there too many matches? Could the Premiership rugby have more independent regulatory power to commercialise the league better? Should there be a second tier, a viable second tier? What does the RFU have to do with that? Loads and loads of questions that I think are being asked and hopefully can get get answered going forward to avoid another situation we're in now. That does sound a little bit like a root and branch examination of of how viable the league is and and maybe maybe it's no harm for that to happen at at that level because while this is happening, Wasps appear to be in fairly similar trouble. Wasps are in trouble as well and it it comes back to an unpaid tax bill but also Wasps have got themselves in a sticky situation over this bond about... six years ago or so just after the rico move or a couple of years after the rico move they um they they raised a bond of 35 million quid which they were meant to be paying back earlier this year and that's not materialized where i think wasps is a different situation to worcester is a as far as i'm aware the players are still getting paid there may have been the odd late payment over the years but they are still getting paid there is still money to run the club to what in the last few weeks worcester have had no money to even get a bus to premiership grounds they've had no money to get names on the back of their shirts they've had no money to put petrol in the cars of the staff who are going to on club business so worcester was a has been a complete and utter mess for for weeks wasps is in a mess but they're they're still funding the club going forward they're in this kind of holding pattern again as they wait for you know they're in the, they've they've filed for um intended administration but they're hoping over the next few weeks to maybe um sort out the the, the club going forward um where WAS have really been hit harder than Worcester is, I think, by COVID, because WAS business model was based on the Rico Arena and all the money that could generate through the hotel, through the casino, and that all shut down through COVID. I think they hoped, along with a lot of Premiership clubs, that the TV deal would have been bigger than it was 
big old TV deal for the Premiership in 2013 and then 2015-16. They didn't renew on the same kind of uplift they would have hoped. So the money coming into the league the last few years has not been exponentially rising in line perhaps with club costs. Add in COVID, add in the fact that Rico's been shut down, um, add in that bond, which has been a risk that hasn't paid off. And that's where, where what are some reasons why what's where they are. You, you mentioned COVID there, Chris. And, and like, um, I think I'm right in saying the RFU can reduce or waive these sanctions if, you know, if it's deemed that the administration was out of the club's control uh, in Worcester's case. You know, is that something that, that maybe shines a light of hope at the end of the tunnel for Worcester or is that reading too much into it? I think Worcester will struggle to argue that. They'll have to appeal to the RFU. As it stands, they're going to get relegated. You know, the regulations dictate that Worcester will get relegated um, as of next season. They can, they can, maybe they could, I don't know, they could argue that the owners have led them so far down the garden path that it's only those two guys who have messed everything up and everyone else at the club has been none the wiser. But, you know, they're the owners of the club. Um, they're the directors and, you know, every club is sort of slightly beholden to who runs it. So I'm not sure how that will pan out. And as for the COVID thing, stuff's been going on at Worcester pre-COVID in terms of how that club is run that they might find that quite hard to prove. What could be, could be a different matter given the, the, the money they would have lost through COVID because of the how, how much they would get incoming um, to the RICO in any given you know, day, day or weekend. But again, that bond was raised six, seven years ago. And if the bond has been the big reason behind their, their big debt um, and they use the bond to refinance moving to the RICO then, then, or now the CBS arena, then they might struggle as well. So there, there is that, that option, but I'm not entirely sure um, that will, will be successful if I the club um, were to were to try and argue that, although we are in un- uncharted water, so we, we can't say for sure. Are there other clubs who might be struggling financially at the moment? Does this speak to a wider problem? Yeah, I think there's a bit of a split in the league, to be honest, guys. I think if you look at a club like Harlequins, you can't get a ticket at the stoop for love or money at the moment. You know, they've got plans um, perhaps put on hold a bit by COVID, but to expand their stadium. I think Northampton are on a, a reasonable financial footing. I think Leicester will always be OK because of the size of their support and the size of their stadium and the strength of the Tigers brand. Bristol, their gr- crowds are going up. They're in fine fettle under Steve Lansdowne, their, their billionaire owner who's poured so much of his own personal wealth into Bristol sport um, and then you look at Bath with Bruce Craig still you know in charge of the purse strings there and they've got good money behind them so you've got five or six clubs and I may have missed out one or two who are in a pretty solid state then you've got others who you do fear for a bit their crowds are down at five six thousand they've got owners who are doing their best but maybe don't quite have the financial means of a of a Steve Lansdowne for example so I think you can almost look at the league in two parts those who are going to be okay and those who might feel the pinch as, as COVID and the impact of it really starts to bite the cost of living the energy crisis and all that so yeah w- w- Worcester and Wasps are hopefully the only two to go into into this kind of strife but there are certainly one or two others out there who aren't finding it easy at all there definitely seems like there's a there's a tears where the billionaires are the near billionaires and um, I don't know how rich Bruce Craig is, but he's very rich. It's hundreds of millions anyway. Um, those guys are putting money in. Is the league sustainable without the sugar daddies? Like, are there enough teams who could? You could just oh. yeah. I realize this is very um, well, uh, it's, existential yeah, philosophical it's, question. It's, I suppose you could argue. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It's professional sport. You know, can professional sport exist without any private money, without any private equity or any uh, private finance as things stand? There aren't too many examples out there of of sports that are completely and utterly self um, self self-sufficient. I think 
Premiership Rugby have a big ambition to get to that direction, that they can't rely on the generosity and the benevolence of these kind of figures who have financed the club game for a long time. And I think they financed the club game into a pretty healthy position. You know, I still think that when you look at the, the product the Premiership's putting out, and it maybe will take a bit of a dip over the next few seasons with the salary cap coming down from kind of up towards 7 mil to 5 mil, and that's lower than a lot of URC sides. So Premiership clubs are going to have to cut their cloth. But when you look at the, the rivalry... Um, and the support. I know it's been down a bit recently. I still think this is a great product, but you're, you're quite right to ask the question, do we need to look at player salaries? Do we need to look at coach salaries? The number of backroom staff, the number of matches, how the league is commercialised. I think that this, this whole episode will lead to a lot of questions for the governing bodies and the individual clubs to answer. And also this point we just need to mention about the fit and proper persons in order to run a rugby club. If you're going to come and buy a rugby club, the RFU, who are the main regulators, they need to have much more stringent checks on who these people are because I don't think there was these, there were enough proper checks in place um, before these guys got into Worcester to, to, to actually ascertain whether they were going to be able to take the club going forward. So the RFU needs to look at their processes too. And is there even any conversation being had around fan ownership and a model that might be more sustainable into the future, the, the German football model of the 50 plus one? Oh, I, 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 imagine, I imagine everything's got to be on the table. Um, I've not really, you know, the, the, the question will always rumble around about central contracts in England just because it, it feels in some quarters as, as if it was a big opportunity missed in 1995 or 96 when the, the clubs were sort of told by the RFU, go and do your own thing. I, I would worry about central contracts and the impact that might have on the league, given that already the clubs are without some of their best players for, for half the season. England time seems to constantly encroach on the club game. So I think central contracts would only make that worse, even though it could alleviate some of the financial pressure on clubs who at the moment are paying lots of money for England players who are also making a packet um, with their match fees from the RFU so that perhaps needs to be looked at you know not every club is reliant on a sugar daddy you know look at um, Leicester for example that's you know for, for years with a PLC model and, and was was very much reliant on having a big crowd coming into Welford Road of 20,000 plus and and having a very vibrant Tigers brand so I don't think it always has to be just about the private money but you know clearly you're dead right to ask the question it's got to the point whereby the, the, the pressure on the owners to finance the club has probably got too much. Uh, you mentioned the, um, the central contracts there, and I know one of the things is that uh, a lot of uh, club fans want to go and see the best players week in, week out, and then they're not available because they're on international duty. That's a constant tension with the game of rugby because how many games can a professional rugby player play each season without missing a large portion due to injury and that tension is, is always going to be there are they getting better in England at managing that so that for the big games more players are available more often or is it actually going the wrong direction well, it's a major contradiction, isn't it? I mean, us guys who, who love, love the sport and, and spend our lives commenting on the sport, half the time we're saying there need to be fewer matches and half the time we're saying England players need to play more for their clubs. So mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a circle that can't really be squared or a square that can't really be circled because w w what's, the, what's the answer? Now, there are more international games than there ever have been. England have got another four games this autumn. That's because they need an extra November fixture to raise some more money that goes back into the club game. Fine, but that means... That South Africa game at the end of the autumn is going to be South Africa without all of their players who play in the Premier won't get released. So it's not really an England South Africa game, is it? So it's, it's international in all, but but it's not it's an international light. So I think most people would agree that out of window test matches are rubbish. 
there, there's nothing to be gained from out of window test matches either for the international fans or for the club fans. However, they bring crucial money to finance the community game, for example, in England. And this is the problem we're in in rugby, isn't it? There are so many solutions that could be made for the better of the game as a whole, whole but everyone is going to do what they need to do to survive on a short-term micro level. You know, you look at, say, the Nations Championship, which they hope would get up and running by now. It keeps getting pushed back because every, you know, every, you know, there's a partner here or a stakeholder there who's got a TV deal that runs to 2026, for example. So if there is a Nations Championship, it can't come into 2026 because of a TV deal in the Southern Hemisphere. And that's fine. That's their own deal. And that's got to be honoured. But everyone is doing their own thing. And I think more than ever, we've got the right administrators in the room in rugby union at the moment. But we're still going to be hamstrung by the fact that what's good for someone on the short term basis is not going to be good for the game as a whole when you look at the bigger picture and that is something that's been dogging the administration of rugby union for well for decades one sorry one last question i was going to ask you just um stuart lancaster has obviously signed for racing and did his press um confirming it that he'd be leaving leinster at the end of the season i'm still very surprised that nobody in england has like managed to convince him that their project is the one that he should align with because he's had such an impact on Leinster over the last six years, stretching into his seventh year now. Where does he stand at the moment in terms of the English coaching hierarchy and and what is the perception amongst the Premiership clubs in particular about him? Highly rated, really highly rated. And it's it's so tough for Stuart Lancaster and his coaches that, that they had to kind of you know, have that that shadow of 2015 hanging over them for so long. But I think they've they've managed to get rid of that well and truly by now. And you look at the great work Andy Farrell has been doing with the Ireland national team. Graham Rountree's now got a top job at Munster, um, and Mike Cad has been as has been doing his thing at Italy and Ireland as well. So they've all repaired their reputations and much more. I think with Lancaster, some of that is is personal. I'm not sure if he necessarily wants to come back to England yet. I think maybe in the fullness of time he'd like to do a DOR job. But um, I, I wonder whether he would be looking for a return to the international fold with a you know maybe a, a bit of a sleeping giant like an Australia or a Scotland but those jobs aren't available and they're locked in and then jobs may change depending on the World Cup so if you are looking at your long-term future as Lancaster or short-term medium future whatever he's going to be thinking right well my contract's up with Leinster great opportunity opportunity in Paris let's take it's still a young guy only in his early 50s you know you've got Eddie Jones past 60 you've got you know other other uh, big hitting coaches on the world stage who are, who are past 60 so he's got a lot of miles left in the tank I think this is a sensible move for him to, to get a bit more club experience before either trying to land a big international job or coming back to England but I think it's this is as much uh, Lancaster wanting just to, to broaden his horizons constantly than than the English clubs not wanting him because certainly I think over the last few years there would have been offers from English clubs to bring him back Yeah it's interesting too that it's a four year deal with Racing which takes us nicely up to whatever happens at the end of the next World Cup at which point there will be, mm. no doubt, uh, good countries who will need some um, international managers uh, or international coaches. So, yeah, it, it is interesting that um, uh, that timing. Do you, do you want it again there, Shane? Yeah, no, just just to bring it back to, to Worcester for one second, Chris, I was just thinking there while you were talking about the fact that it kind of puts sporting fandom into perspective a little bit, in in a sense. Like I know a lot of truth telling is going to come out now around Worcester, and we're going to probably see the the tiny financial details that that led to this moment. But it certainly is is a, is, is something that that really because you forget about the fans sometimes because you think about the players and their wages and and how the, the financial situation has led to this point. But it really puts sporting fandom in perspective because at the end of the day, that's what the sport's all about. Sure. 
hundred percent couldn't agree more shane i think we've had that we've been reminded of that a fair bit over the last few years with covid haven't we when you know that a few guys covered games in empty stadia but i did a fair few and it wasn't a particularly enjoyable experience you were lucky to be there because everyone else was 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 locked out but you know sport without fans is is nothing and i think it probably has has grounded a lot of look the worcester players have been magnificent throughout all this i've had a long chat with with one of their key men matt kavezic there i was so impressed by his stoicism and and humility and and you know how he spoke about the situation so I, 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 I'm loath to say the players have been humbled by this because I think they've always been pretty humble but I think they have been reminded of what, or, or, about why they do this you know what the club means to Worcester people what it means to the city um, and I think there might be a bit of a, a, a redoubled effort now from players to go okay this is not just about us and our wages and us making as much money as we can and then retiring. Of course, they've got to think of themselves as a short career. Their bodies and brains are on the line, as we know. But maybe this episode will just lead to a real collaboration between all parties involved in the sport to go, look, we do it for the fans, we've, but we've also got, got a responsibility to sell it ourselves. If our wages are going up, is the money coming in? We can't just take our pay packet and be oblivious to what's going on because it is real consequences as the guys at Worcester and Wasser are finding out. So if it leads to more aware players um, and, a, and an RPA, a players union, that might go, okay, the salary cap has to stay at 5 million for a few seasons. Let's get back sustainable. Let's get back on a level, level footing. Let's have constant dialogue with our owners, constant dialogue with our chief executive and start to have a far more uh, collaborative, symbiotic approach. And maybe that could be the, the good thing to come out of this, um, this horrible episode. Uh, what's Eddie Jones standing at the moment? Uh, has he managed to recover from the bit where everybody was calling for him to be fired because of a few wins? Yeah, I think the, the Australia series has um, secured his job through De France 2023. Uh, I, I'm confident, not confident, I'm sure that if they'd lost that series and gone down 3-0, there would have been major decisions that would have to be made at Twickenham. Certainly the noises from Twickenham were not of total and utter unwavering support with Eddie Jones pre that tour and after that first test, but they very much are after that series win. Whatever you say about Australia, whatever ninth in the world, that's still a team that has pushed New Zealand, that's beaten South Africa, um, and it was a good series win for England. Um, And I think Eddie Jones, with the way he's just starting to tinker with the squad, bring in some young players, um, move some players on. This is kind of when he's in his element. As long as he can just about keep the, the squad together in that year before the World Cup, when it comes into World Cup year, this is what Eddie, Eddie Jones does. We saw it in 2018 going into 2019. He rode out a, a, a torrid 2018 to deliver in large parts of 2019. So this is where Eddie Jones earns his corn. And this 2023 or this October through to October is when we're going to really find out whether the whole Eddie Jones eight-year project has been a success or not. It, it all will come down to France 2023. He's made that his stated aim and the RFU have backed him on it. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out in a year's time uh, or just over whether it's all been worth it. Yeah, the World Cup is hanging over literally every single conversation we have about rugby <laughs> for the next 12 months. It's, almost uh, too much. What do you reckon? It feels sometimes like almost too much focus on a World Cup, but now we're almost at the year of the World Cup. It feels we can talk about it legitimately. I find it, I find it a bit sort of um, incongruous uh, when you get a coaches two and a half years out going, oh, we've got 22 more camps to the World Cup. You're like, come on, that's far too, far too far ahead. Yeah. So I think now we can actually, yeah, yeah let, let's focus in as of 2023, bring it on. The one thing I'd say for you, Chris, at least you guys have won it. We've never got past the bloody quarterfinals. So you can imagine our level of obsession with the quarterfinals. It's literally all we talk about from the well, time we got I've beaten got a, by New Zealand I've, the last I've, time. I've, I've, <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I've got a Welsh dad who would find it very offensive you saying you guys are bad England. Um, but yeah, I think it's I know exactly what you mean. It's I, I feel a bit for Ireland because they're playing such good rugby a year and out. they've had such a great a year out. And does that mean that if it is a quarterfinal exit at the hands of France or New Zealand, no disgrace? Does that mean that this whole 2022 means nothing? I don't know. I kind of think a series win in New Zealand, a triple crown. I still think that should mean something, even if the big dance is where, you know, legends are made and broken. Um, but given the record, I can understand why a lot of Ireland fans, a lot of listeners to this show would be going, come on, just a semi-final, our kingdom for a semi-final. <laughs> just once, I, come I, on. I think we're slowly coming around to your way of thinking, though, Chris, because there's no alternative in our lives, it turns out. Great to have you with us. Thanks a million. Cheers. Always good. Thanks, guys. Cheers. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.